Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Amen. So this season of Lent is coming to an end. Today is um, the starts our Passion Week, the last week where we remember Jesus's um, earthly ministry, his life here on earth. And uh, today starts Palm Sunday. And I want us to look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I want us to just start with a story in Matthew 21 of this, this Palm Sunday story. And there are Bibles in front of you um, It'll be on the screen, but I always, personally, I just love to to get my hands on a Bible. Would still encourage you guys, bring your own Bible. You can see where you've marked things in the past and and keep the story going in your own Bible. But um, I'm going to read this out of Matthew 21. Here we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And I love to think about the story and imagine ourselves on the streets this day. And I wonder if you are there on the streets this day in history um, and you're caught up in the crowd, would you have been a coat thrower? You know, would you have unzipped the hoodie and, you know, whoop, maybe flung it down, you know, like a little like, you know, motion there, flung it down? Would you have been a palm branch waver? Are you the type of person that presses up towards the front? Are you kind of maybe sitting back, like watching from, you know, the second row? I I wonder, like, maybe a good test for this is if you're at a wedding reception and, you know, like the locomotion starts, you know, that big train dancey thing. Are you the one that jumps in? Or do you kind of sit back at your table and watch everyone else do the train around the room? Well, when I insert myself into the story, And I start thinking about the crowd that day. I imagine that I would be thinking the same thoughts that they were thinking in that crowd, that I would be like everyone else in that day where they thought, they thought that they knew what was going to happen in the next moments, the next days, the next months in history. They thought they had a handle on what was about to happen. They thought they were living in a certain moment of history, right? They thought they had it nailed down, but in reality, they had no idea what was going to happen, what was going to go down with Jesus in the following days. And I see that there are two parallel stories that are running side by side in this Matthew 21 story, and they are stories of extreme contrasts, 
extreme contrasts. We have one story kind of from the street level, in the crowds, what people thought they were in the middle of, what God was doing for them, what they thought was happening from their perspective. And then we have another side of the story that is God's reality, the story that he is unfolding in this day, the true story of what Jesus is really saying yes to. And let me just start by bringing you into the events on the ground that day. So here's what's happening up to this point. Um, Jesus, you know, he did three years of his earthly ministry. And at, up to this point, he had never publicly demonstrated or revealed or been recognized as the Messiah, as the Savior. Up to this point, whenever it looked like, remember crowds would start kind of like swelling and get like pretty enthusiastic about what he was doing and who he was, he would just slip through their fingers and he would be exit stage left. Or even when the demons would recognize him like, oh, you are the Messiah, the son of David, Jesus would shut them down. He would refuse to let them speak, to recognize him in any public way. And so up to this point, no public demonstration of who he who he is. Actually, no recognition on his part of who he is. But um, end this day in Jerusalem, there are tens of thousands of people gathered in this crowd. It is a massive crowd. They are all there in Jerusalem to celebrate, celebrate Passover. So they've come from all over the world to, uh, to land in this one place in Jerusalem on this day. And so there are, there are like, when we say crowds, there are crowds of people. And they're all over. Some of them are already in Jerusalem. Some of them are on their way with Jesus. They're making their way to the city. And the Jewish people who make up this crowd, they all have been waiting, waiting, watching and waiting for the Messiah to come. They have held on to the words of the prophets that the prophets have spoken about this coming king, this coming Messiah. They know the promises of like Zechariah, who 500 years before had prophesied about this very moment in history. They knew that the Messiah would come and he would come, like Zechariah said, gentle and lowly and riding on a donkey. That's what Zechariah said in Zechariah 9, 9. So they've, they've, they've been holding on to these prophetic words, but then at the same time, they've been watching Jesus as he opens blind eyes and heals people who have never walked. And as he restores people and as he even raises the dead, all of these signs, again, of the coming Messiah, they've heard him teach with authority. And all along as they're watching him, they're like, could this be him? Is he the one? And then here he is on this day coming in, fulfilling these words of Zechariah, riding on the donkey, their king coming gently, riding on the donkey. And then, like Kevin said, they start laying down their coats. That's their response because there was an ancient custom and we can see it actually in 2 Kings 9.9. I believe, well, actually, no, I'm mixing up my scripture. It's in 2 Kings 9.12. You can see this ancient custom where people would take off their coats and they would put it down before a man and they were basically saying, we honor you. We honor you as king. We're submitting our lives to you. We, we lay down our lives for you so that you will be our king. So they're doing this. They're, they're like accepting Jesus as king. They're like saying, we want you to be our king. But what that means to us is we, we want you to act like the king that we expect. We want you to fulfill the promises to Abraham and David and establish an everlasting kingdom right now. We want you to set up your rule, Jesus, from Jerusalem and go out and conquer the world. That's the king that we are laying our coats down for. 
And then they're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna, like Sarah said, which means save us now. So then they're bringing this cry before Jesus going, let it finally begin. Like, let's go, Jesus. Like, this is the day we've been waiting for. We expect now your political kingdom to be established. So you will save us. You will overthrow Rome, that you will deliver us from these oppressive rulers, from the Roman rule. So they expected Jesus to use his strength to meet their physical, temporal needs, to use his greatness to launch a, a, a political kingdom uh, that, would, that would kind of meet their short-sighted desire. They expected Jesus to use his power to start a rebellion, like a real war, a real rebellion. They expected a leader who would use his influence. Jesus, use your influence to remove all the current leaders and establish your rule. That's what they were looking for. So on top of the coats and the shouts of Hosanna, they're also waving palm branches. And these palms symbolize joy. They mean joy. This is a joyous moment the people are celebrating. They're celebrating wildly. They have envisioned already their new lives full of victory. Up on top, finally, once and for all, where we belong. Like, yes, Jesus, you are on your way to greatness here in this moment. And they're waving palm branches and they're celebrating. It is a party. Jesus, we are so excited that you are finally going to bring us the physical deliverance that we have been waiting for. It is a great day. This is the air on the streets those days. It is supercharged with excitement and anticipation. They have these plans. The people, they have plans, hopes, dreams, expectations, ideas about what Jesus is doing. Finally, what God is doing with Jesus in their day. Okay, that's what's happening on the ground. Then there is this parallel story of what God is doing in reality. This true parallel story. And you're going to see some extreme contrast here. Maybe you've already been picking up on it. But while the people are celebrating and joyful and excited about what is just right around the corner, Jesus is on his way to the hardest days of his life, isn't he? He's on his way to betrayal and rejection and humiliation and physical torture. I mean, the public crucifixion was the worst of the worst ways to go. It was the worst of the worst. The crowd is celebrating and Jesus is on his way to suffering. This is the extreme contrast that's happening. And while the, the crowds are like finally a king on his throne to make us great, to make things right for us. So now everyone will see, we will show you all, right? That we belong on top where we should be. This is our big break. They think Jesus is coming for them and, but we see that Jesus actually is not coming for a moment of greatness. He's not coming for just a moment of fame, of worth uh, on the earth, of a place, a high place on this earth. He's coming lowly. He's coming humbly. He's not coming to take what is his. He's coming to surrender. And the people thought that God's kingdom would come on high with sweeping victory, didn't they? And in reality, Jesus brought the kingdom on the low road. He came on the low road. He came again in surrender. He came to deliver himself into their hands, to lay his life down for their redemption, for their salvation, for their good. He wasn't coming to exalt himself in front of a crowd. He wasn't. He came to empty himself. This is what we see in Matthew 20, 28. 
that he came to not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he was doing. That's what he was on his way to. That he's not coming with a military strategy, with plans and man's wisdom. No, no, no. He's coming in surrender and obedience to God's plans in this moment. Remember, he prayed in that garden just hours before. He's laying it all down. God, not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. Not what I could take, not the greatness of what this moment could be for me. I lay it all down for the cup you give, not my will, but yours. And what the people were expecting that day, it was true. It was true, but it wasn't true like they held truth to be, was it? Jesus did come to establish a kingdom, just not a political kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, right? He came not to, to he came to reign, but, but not from an earthly throne, from a heavenly throne, didn't he? He came to overthrow the enemy, but the enemy wasn't Rome. It was the enemy of their soul. It was the one who kept them in bondage to the law and to earning, the one that kept them separated from the father, the, their sin that kept them separated from the father. He came to overthrow that. He came to deliver them, but just from, their, again, their sin and their own rebellion, And Jesus would know glory. He would know glory. It's just not earthly glory. It's not like the world thinks of glory. Not for a minute. He would know glory, but it wouldn't come from from men and the greatness that he could get from people and their opinions. It came from the well done of the Father. You were faithful to the end, Jesus, right? That's the glory. And he would be exalted. He would be highly exalted. Like Paul writes in Philippians, look at this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He would know the highest place of honor. He would know it, but not because, again, not because he took it, because it was given to him by the Father through the Father's ways through the father's ways. It just wasn't the way the crowd thought. It wasn't the way to glory, the way to God's lifting up, the way to God's exalting came as Jesus stayed lowly, lowly, surrendered to God's will, gently riding on a donkey, riding in on a donkey. So this is why Palm Sunday matters, guys. This is why it matters so much. We also are living out parallel stories today. We also are living out parallel stories. And Palm Sunday is a reminder that nothing, well, not nothing, this is a little extreme, but most, most of life will not work out along the lines of earthly expectation. It won't. I'm telling you ahead of time that we too, you guys, we have a street view of this life. We are part of that crowd. It is in the air on this earth that we have expectations and wants and ideas and plans that seem to be so appropriate. They really, they really do. God, I thought I was going to live in Jerusalem with Jesus on the throne That's what I thought, right? I thought I would be experiencing more blessing from my season of prayer. Look at the hours that I put in, right? I thought I would never face these type of challenges in my family, 
right? I just, I, I never saw this coming. I pictured like obstacles, but I picture them like an American ninja, like, right? Like it's kind of fun getting over that thing, right? Like it's I can just get to use my strength and get over that thing. Like, right. We just ninja every obstacle. That's what we thought. We thought life would just be up into the right. Let's just, we can just grit it out now, right? Up into the right. I thought victory would be more permanent or at least last a whole lot longer than what it did, right? I thought purpose would feel more fulfilling and less confusing and doubtful. What about your expectations? What about your expectations for this life, this Christian life? What about your expectations? Did you also expect that your life would look like Hollywood beauty and Fifth Avenue revenue and Denver mountaintop views all on a Palatine budget, right? Like this is what we picture. Can you picture though being in this crowd? We thought, God, we thought this meant. We thought you were going to. And I know for some of us, we, we, maybe we can't really fill that blank in. And we're like, I don't really have expectations, but I would ask you what, sometimes our expectations are so below the radar that we have a hard time getting a hold of them. But where is discontent rumbling in your heart? Sometimes we have to look a little deeper to really find our expectations. But here's what we learn. Here's what we learn as we watch Jesus enter Jerusalem on a donkey. God's kingdom comes in unexpected ways. God's kingdom comes in unexpected ways. I want to drill it down. God's kingdom comes in unexpected ways. And here's the truth about this statement. There's two parts to it. One part surprise, one part assurance, right? One part surprise, one part assurance, unexpected ways, surprise, kingdom comes, assurance. This means, guys, I know this for sure, that the means will surprise you. It is the how that will take you off guard. Lowly, surrendered, gentle, meek, surrendered, yielded in ruins, in this situation, in loss. Really? That's how? But when it looks different and it feels different and it costs too much and it seems too small and it takes longer, we must not abandon the opportunity in the unexpected church. We must not abandon the opportunity in the unexpected because I promise you, the means will surprise you, but the end will always be glorious. The end will be the same as what Jesus experienced when he submitted himself to the Father's ways. It will always be glorious. The outcome will be the sure part of the formula. The outcome will be the sure part because I, I know this, that the surprise can't knock loose the assurance. It can't. Have you guys ever seen uh, someone uh, driving on the street and their bumper is duct taped to their car? right? And you're driving around and you see this and you think one pothole, right? One good rain, one big pothole, and that sucker is off, right? Like this is, you know, but here's the deal, guys, this kingdom work, this way of God, it is, it is not subject to duct tape. The kingdom comes in unexpected ways. It, I, it is not a duct tape job. It is not that no pothole on these earthly streets is going to separate the assurance of the glory that will come, the kingdom that will come. And so we say to the surprise part, nonetheless, 
the kingdom comes. Nonetheless, the kingdom comes. Nonetheless, glory is on the other side of the low place. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For momentary light affliction is producing, that's the how, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The glory will come. The rebuild happens on the ruins. Look at Isaiah 61. This is a brilliant promise. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Restoration will come. The lifting up happens in the mud and the mire. Psalm 40. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. The lifting will come. Expansion and fruit come from pruning. John 15, 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. I don't know about you guys, but I want the even more fruitful without the pain of pruning. No, thank you. I don't want those methods, right? No, thank you, God. Let's find another way. Talk about parallel stories for a second. Jesus used this crazy illustration as pruning when he talked about our life on this earth. Pruning, like pruning, right? So from the plant's perspective, if you think about this for a second, from the plant's perspective, the plant is like, look at my branches and look at all the great fruit on all my many branches, right? Like they're heavy. They're sagging with the weight of my fruit. And the gardener's going to come and the plant is thinking he needs a bigger basket today. There's a lot of fruit today to pick, right? And the gardener's coming and maybe the gardener has a big basket. Maybe he has the fertilizer today. And then the plant sees what's in the gardener's hand. And the plant's like, those are scissors, scissors in his hand. And then the gardener comes close and cuts off branches that are fruitful Like from the plant's perspective, this is brutal. This is cruel. This is lost. Like that was mine. How dare you take that off? You can't have that, right? Like how dare you taking that off? Surprising, right? Never saw that coming. But here's the deal from the gardener's perspective. The gardener's like, I love this plant. I am for this plant's future. And there is one way to get this plant more fruitful. I have to take a little off today. I have to, I have to take a little off. I have to shave a little off. I need to cut off a few branches. But it's hopeful from the gardener's perspective. It's actually reward. It's actually making space for expansion and growth and more fruitfulness. Okay, tiny asterisk. We'll go over here for the asterisk part. Not all pruning, not all loss is from God, right? We know that the enemy also steals and kills and destroys. And so I don't want to say that every bit of loss is actually God's doing. Sometimes it's the enemy's doing, but yet, but yet God knows how to take that and also make it for good, how to redeem and restore and make even more fruitful, even when it was the enemy's hand. Okay. That's my asterisk. Okay. All right. So may we trust the hand of the gardener over our lives, church. May we. The kingdom comes in unexpected ways. 
Are you with me on this? The kingdom comes in unexpected way. Like Jesus riding lowly on a donkey, we too approach the ride through our streets in the same way. Here's what I'm asking, that we stay willing in the wilderness. We stay obedient in the objections. We stay lowly in the loco. We stay humble in the hardship and we stay surrendered in the surprise. I was at a meeting this week um, with a bunch of other vineyard pastors and we, Kevin and I hadn't really shared anything that was going on in our lives, anything personal. Um, but as we were praying, one of the pastors said, Molly, I have this picture. God just gave me this picture for you. As we know that God speaks to us and he's so kind and generous with his perspective on our lives. And so he said, well, I see this picture and I see this jigsaw puzzle. And he, I said, I see the outside is all already in place. And a lot of work has gone into putting the, all the outside in place, right? P puzzle people, where's my puzzle people? This is what we do, right? We put the outside in place first. You have this like anchor, like, okay, this is how we build. We get this, this is the best way to do it. And then we take all the other pieces and we do what? Sort organize, arrange, mountaintop over in this area, our clouds here, the garden here, right? That's what we do. So he saw this, he saw this and he's like, okay, a lot of time has gone to the outside and then all the pieces are arranged and sorted and organized really well. And he's like, and then I saw Gad's hand come in and he scrambled up all the pieces. He just made a big mess. He made a big mess of everything. And he said, and God's expectation is that you are delighted in the mess that you are delighted in the messing up. And I thought about this for a second and I thought, oh man, like this is in so many ways, my life right now, it feels like scramble. I have no control over the pieces. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? It feels like a big mess. This feels impossible. The only way to stay in assurance and delight in the unexpected mess is to trust the hand of the gardener, right? To trust the hand of the gardener. That again, the plant's future is safe in the gardener's hand. That it is safe, that his hand is moving in one direction, my growth, towards the kingdom, towards his glory, towards the lifting, towards ultimate benefit. My God is unstoppable. We sang that this morning. My God is unstoppable. What he's building is unshakable. It is an unshakable kingdom. It is glory that the world just couldn't really even ever write about or describe or nail down because it is so far beyond. So what in your life right now is leading you to surrender in humility? Where would you say there's a bit of a scramble, a mess? What problems, what difficulty, what unmet expectations. Maybe I can say it like this. Where's your donkey ride in life right now? Where is that place where, man, it feels like you're just having to come in so low. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's at work with a team or a boss that you don't like so much. Whatever it is that, that feels difficult, sacrificial, feels hard. And I know some of your stories right now, and there's quite a mess. Some of you, it's been a long, it's been years of hardship and difficulty. Some of you, it's a new mess. Some of you, you're not there right now, but you will be there. Again, you know, this is how life goes. You'll be there again. What I want you to do is I want you today to see Jesus lowly, lowly, riding in, in surrender to God's glory. 
to see yourself following Jesus humbly, lowly, yielded, that we would follow Jesus on the low road, that we become trustworthy on the low road, church, but to also be assured that in the surprise, assured of God's help, assured that he is moving for growth, that he is moving for your good, that he is moving in one direction only towards glory in the unexpected, in the unexpected of our lives. And I know that the middle chapters that we're living in, guys, I know they seem confusing and weird and disappointing and uncertain. I know that, but I want you to take heart and I want you to stay low because the final chapter has been written. And the next time Jesus comes, he will not be riding on a donkey, right? We know, we've seen the end. He comes on a glorious horse, right? Completely different scenario. So we are moving with him through these streets. So why don't we stand up and I'm gonna pray over you. And I was hoping that maybe we could do that first song again, Sarah. Lion song. So I feel like we have maybe just an opportunity to worship. I don't know if you want your team to come up or if that's... Can the team come up? Um, I, I love this song. There's just a declaration, again, about my God is unstoppable. My God is unstoppable. And it's, it's the truth that I want us to declare over our lives and our situations and our low places in our expectations, my God is unstoppable. And so we're going to just sing through a bit of that and then we'll, we'll close out in prayer. You have the highest place. Jesus, you have the highest place. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? I say over us, church, who can stop the Lord Almighty? I say over you, if God is for you, who could be against you? Who could be against you? What could separate you from his love? So God, would you just help us to carry around on this earth the deepest conviction? Nonetheless, the kingdom comes. Just work that conviction in our spirits right now. Will you just lock and load that thing in our hearts and our minds on our lips? Nonetheless, the kingdom comes. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? So God, I just pray for us. I pray for us in the days to come that right now, God, that we would just be a church that would stay surrendered to your ways, stay surrendered to your word when it doesn't make sense, when it's confusing, when it doesn't seem to serve our purposes. God, would you help us right now to stay surrendered to the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God, that we would hold open our lives before you with what you bought, what you ransomed, what you came for, that we would give them all to you, give them all to you and stay in this low place that we're yours, that we're yours, we're part, we're connected to this divine glory, this bigger story, God, of what you're doing.